This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, Keely. Hey, Chris. Welcome to Heard It on the Sidelines. Heard It. Heard It on the Sideline with Shotgun Spratling. Spratling. Welcome to the newest edition of the Heard It on the Sidelines podcast. That's right. You heard it's back. It's basketball season, so we had to bring it back. I'm your host, Shotgun Spratling. Alongside me, Chris Trevino is jumping on with me. He's actually going to take over the host duties here in a minute. It's a little bit of a weird podcast. Just want to do a little bit of a preview podcast going into conference play. USC opens conference play starting today. And that's surprising when you hear that because it's only December. But it's early December, and the Pac-12 announced last year that they were going to do 20-game conference seasons. So they added two games to the to their regular season schedule for conference games, and that meant they had to go in, in earlier in the schedule. Last year, USC was actually scheduled to play in November, November 30th, I believe it was. But because of the pandemic, everything got moved around a little bit. So this is the first time they're playing these games as early as they are in this season. So USC will play Utah tonight at 8.30 p.m., late-night game. But the, the Trojans will take on the Utes. Craig Smith taking over the program for Larry Kostowiak, who was fired last season. We'll see what the Utes have in their first year under Craig Smith, who came over from Utah, Utah State. So it should be an interesting matchup to see where they're at, where the Trojans are at as they start conference play. But Chris, just want to throw it over to you. Let you take control of this podcast and see where you take us. This is fascinating. First of all, when was the last heard it? It feels like Two years? No, is not that two accurate? years. That's inaccurate. It was during the March Madness run or right after the March Madness That's true. run. That's true. That so, feels like two years ago. Because I, I recorded two of them in the hotel in Indianapolis during USC's March to the Elite Eight. Terrific season. Second time that they made it to the Elite Eight since the NCAA expanded in 1974 to, I think, 32 teams at that time. And then eventually it was 48, 64. Now it's 68. But USC has not been in this situation where they're the big dog. UCLA also, obviously, the Final Four run. They bring everybody back. Big-time opportunity for them to you know build on the established culture that they used to have, and they're trying to get back under Mick Cronin. They come into the season number two in the preseason polls. You know They, they have a clunker against Gonzaga, which looked a lot like USC's game against Gonzaga uh, in the Elite Eight, where – the first eight minutes or so, Gonzaga just takes complete control, takes a 20-point lead, and just kind of cruises the rest of the way and ends up with a 20-point win. Kind of how the USC game played out, also how the UCLA game played out. So it was kind of interesting seeing that game and being like, hmm, I feel like I've seen this before. You have. Except yeah. I was, it was in person last time. But, yeah, it was, it was interesting to, to see where the Bruins are at. They'll be really interesting. The Pac-12 could be a fascinating race. Arizona's playing really well. Oregon not playing really well. And some teams that, you know, where where are they going to be at? Arizona State, uh, Utah, Colorado. Some teams that are it's a changing of the guard for the Colorados and a little bit of Arizona State losing Remy Martin and losing McKinley Wright. But some other programs on the rise. I think Utah getting Craig Smith, I think that they're going to be a team that should surprise some people a little bit this year as well as Washington State. I think they'll surprise some people. That's where USC actually goes on Saturday. We'll be in Berkeley 
And somehow we're going to have to find this game on TV on, on a Pac-12 network. So I'm sure we'll find it. Hopefully our Airbnb has a Pac-12 networks because uh, that game will be in the afternoon. But we'll be in Berkeley because of this random, extra-scheduled, rescheduled game uh, for USC and Cal. And Lincoln Riley will be probably there watching and seeing. I wonder what this team's going to look like. Do I want any of these players? Do I want to keep any of these guys? Shotgun is just bounce all around at different things in a, yeah. in a, in a yeah. matter of seconds. So I just want to <laughs> grab back to what you were just talking about with Ramey, co- Ramey. Co- conference play and conference play starting tomorrow, this week, today. Play starting today. Yes, there you go. See, he's the, the world's best basketball USCB writer. <laughs> he keeps me on track. But this is one of my questions I had for later. But let's just get to it now because you already touched on it. Obviously, in the Pac-12, everyone's talking UCLA, UCLA, UCLA. Mm-hmm. Deservingly so, after what they did last year, had a bunch of people coming back, had a great recruiting class. Let's just get to the point. Do you think, after seeing this team just really early, can USC compete with UCLA for the Pac-12 title? Or is it just UCLA or bust? What what are your early thoughts on that? I picked UCLA in my preseason poll. I also put USC at three behind Oregon. Now, Oregon, they've struggled so far, but mm-hmm. they always bring in a lot of new guys, and sometimes there's some early season struggles. And then Dana Altman is a really good coach that you know gets guys to, to buy in, and eventually they play a lot better as the season progresses. I thought that UCLA, I thought the addition of Miles Johnson, the transfer from Rutgers, engineering major, really smart kid from Southern California, came back to California to, to finish up his college career, I thought the addition of him was what was missing from UCLA last year that enabled USC to dominate them. To dominate them at home and then beat them on the road, coming back and they really struggled early in the game and had to, you know, get woken up by Chris Capco, the now associate head coach, you know, just get, just all over them in a, in a timeout that we could hear him across the court up to, you know, flights of bleachers. Granted there was no fans in attendance, but basically hear every word he was saying, chewing them out. So I, I think that the one thing that they were missing last year is rim protection. They had Cody Riley, but he's more of a power forward rather than a center. And against Evan Mobley, they had no answer. And then Evan Mobley was able to distribute to other guys. And you know he could pull out Cody Riley a little bit away from the basket and just open things up. I think with Miles Johnson, that makes it that much more difficult for USC. I think this USC team, though, I think it's going to be two battles when those two teams mm-hmm. play. And maybe a third one in the Pac-12 tournament somewhere along the way. Because... Both these teams are going to be focused on defense. USC has always been lo- has been locked in on defense for two and a half years now. UCLA, they're up and down a little bit, and if USC catches them, I don't think they will because of the rivalry and everything. But that's the big thing for them. If if Johnny Juzang is playing some defense, and you know they're locked in, that that is what makes them difficult, and that's what gave them the ability to go on that Final Four run last year. Is that they finally started playing defense and they hit some free throws late which is why USC was able to, to to come back and beat them at the buzzer with Tajidi and why they lost in the Pac-12 tournament. I just remember watching that game. It was before a USC game, and they had like three chances um, to, to end the game in regulation, I think it was, and then Oregon State beats them, and you know Jules Bernard was just stunned. He just stood on the court, just didn't know what to do. And you're like, UCLA, is their season over? Nope. First four to final Not four. At all. So, uh, and I think that experience, the same with USC, I think both of their experiences is, is, is huge for them. Oregon and, and Oregon State a little bit less because you know they made it to the Sweet 16 as well, but I think they lost some really key pieces off their teams. I mean, all these teams, all these teams except UCLA lost really big pieces. UCLA brought everybody back. USC obviously replacing Evan Mobley, huge question marks coming into the season, but I've been really impressed with what they've done so far. So 
I think that USC can contend for that Pac-12 championship. There'll be a couple slip-ups along the way, I'm sure, you know, but I, I think they can be there at the end against UCLA. And hey, if it comes down to the end of the season and they're, they're playing each other, I think that's going to be the arenas are just going to be going mad crazy, especially after last year not being able to see these two teams play. Absolutely. That that scene should be uh, electric, to say the least. Uh, as you can see, I have the er- easiest host job in the nation. Just <laughs> put something out there, let him talk for uh, 15 minutes. It's, it's, it's such an easy gig. Such an easy gig. But let's move on a little bit more. What has just your, been your biggest overreaction to this team biggest overreaction hmm i feel like i, I stay pretty even keel i know i, I know I, I you're, I you're, pretty, you're, pretty, you're pretty good but i'm sure there's something maybe you've looked at as like hey this could be something down the line maybe usc fans shouldn't get too excited about this or maybe they should i, I, don't, I don't know if there's something that's like you've seen that's like whom that's really interesting that's really interesting or something like that I don't know exactly how to answer it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say the thing that still scares me the most about this team, because I've been really impressed with what they played. They played the, the greatest competition, but they went on the road to Temple. You know, They went uh, on the road to Florida Gulf Coast, and that place was hopping because it was the Dunk City reunion. They played San Diego State. They played two teams from Philly. I think this is actually the thing that, that has been the most interesting to me. They played two teams from Philly. They played San Diego State, who's a really good defensive program. They're always good on defense. USC has not been bullied. You play mm. teams from Philadelphia, and they want to bully you. They want to push you around. Temple tried to do – Villanova in the expedi- exhibition two years ago tried to do the same thing. Temple, they try to do some small things like you know grab the ball away from you after the, your ref has already called a foul or something like that. Small things like bumps after the whistle. It's just the Philly love. Yeah, just trying to kind of establish that, hey, we're the dominant force here. You're the little guy coming in, and USC was having none of it. Now, USC had a big lead in that game, and Temple shrank it. I think that was because the referees, the whistles kind of changed completely in the second half. USC, it took a little bit of time to adjust. So I think that's a learning, learning experience there for them. But I think that's been the most interesting thing is that this team is not getting punked by anybody. I don't care who, if it's a Big Ten team coming in, a Big East team, doesn't matter. This team, and, and I think it's because of the interesting dynamic that they have, the interesting mix on this roster of some of those super seniors. Chavez, good one, not backing down to anybody. Isaiah White, not backing down to anybody. So you got two guys right there that have been to multiple schools, have you know have been through a, a cadre of, of different experiences in their college careers. And then you got Isaiah Mobley, who's a potential NBA draft pick, and Boogie Ellis, a guy who's been at Memphis, so he's played in some big games. And Drew Peterson is, you know, so you got all these different dynamics on this team. And I think they've gelled really well together. And so I think it's very interesting. They stick up for each other. But no one's backing down from, from any contact. No one's you know playing timid. And that's something, I say that word because Joshua Morgan had an amazing weekend in the, um, the Wooden Legacy Tournament down in Anaheim. Was fantastic in the first game. I think he had something like 13 points career high for him at USC and six rebounds career high for him at USC. Second game, he had some big rebounds, some big blocks, didn't have the points necessarily. But last year he was so timid they could never play him. Like he he struggled to catch the ball at times. This year he's just he's playing with so much more confidence. And I thought it was really interesting the way he came out and he's attacking, you know, attacking and getting fouled several times. He had six consecutive free throws for USC uh, and made five of the six in one point of that St. Joseph's game. 
that shows me how much he's improved and how his confidence has been built up. And, you know, they're going to need to rely on him because both of those games, they got one of their bigs in foul trouble early and had to go to him. And it was like there was no fall off. So I thought that was really interesting. And the USC team as a whole, they're, they're not backing down from anybody. Can't get bullied. Can't, you can't. If you get bullied in basketball, then it's, it's going to be a long, as me being a smaller person on the court, I get bullied a lot. When you get the what happens when you get bullied is then you start settling for mm-hmm, shots. Mm-hmm. You don't attack. You don't want to get that contact. You don't want to get knocked to the ground. So suddenly you you just take start taking jump shots, and not all of those are clean because you're not attacking enough. Dribble penetration, drawing someone in, dishing dishing it out, the kickouts and whatnot, and getting those open looks. So then your offense becomes stagnant. You know that's when you go in those long lulls, and I think that's been an interesting thing so far. And again. Talked about the competition level a little bit, but six games in, USC hasn't had any really long stretches where they've gone without a field goal. They've been able to find a way, a manufacturer way, where if they're not making a couple shots, they can get the ball inside and find Chavez, go winner, Isaiah uh, Mobley, and, and get a bucket. We're going to keep it flowing. Keep it flowing. I want to talk about this freshman class that came in. Obviously, it's not like the 2020 class. You know, we had a bunch of transfers. You had a... a mega star in like an Evan Mobley mm-hmm. this one was uh, uh just four four players one being a transfer Boogie Ellis I'm not really factoring him in in this because obviously okay. we know he's been uh, a stud early on so you got three Malik Thomas Harrison Hornery Kobe Johnson a top 40 class number 39 in our rankings number five in the Pac-12 you know not not a, not a big time player but what have you thought of these these freshmen so far early on? And what do you think the ceiling is for, for these guys? Could any do you feel like any of them could emerge down the stretch late in the season? You know, someone could get really come on and start being a contributor. What what are your early takes on, on these these three freshmen? So I want to throw Reesticks and Waters in that yes, mix as yes. well. So he was actually a part of this class originally. He became an early enrollee last year because the pandemic, the, the unknowns if you know Southern California basketball was going to play. So he came early. But he really played a couple games, played a couple minutes, really didn't do much. He got to learn the plays a little bit, I'm sure. Uh, but as far as getting playing time, getting experience, didn't have it. So I'm going to include him in this mix because he's a young guy, uh, and I feel like he's on the same level as his other other three guys. I've been pretty impressed by the group because there's so much depth and so much talent on this team. It's the deepest team that any infields had at USC. It's the deepest USC team that since I've been at USC, for sure. So that's you know 12 years now or so. Going back to some of the Tim Floyd teams, maybe they had a little bit more depth. I would have to really look at those rosters to see what number six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, because USC can go eleven to thirteen deep if they really want to. Now Harrison Hornery is a guy that coming out of high school, I've saw him several times, and I said he's going to need some time to develop. He's much bigger than I anticipated him being as a freshman, and he's a junkyard dog. He just goes out there and he finds rebounds. He's always kind of in the right place, plays good defense for you, and he's a big that can shoot. So you know, maybe if they play a team and they need a zone buster, maybe he's a guy that they throw in there. So there's a role for him. Now he's not going to play a ton of minutes, but maybe there's a role for him there. Kobe Johnson has actually been a guy. He's a three-star kid. Now he's the younger brother of – I can't remember his brother's name. Went to Duke last year. I'm blanking on his name. So he's got good lineage there. His brother, obviously, is a big-time player as well. But Kobe Johnson, three-star guy, not a lot of hype coming in, but he's 6'6", he's long, he's athletic, and he can play the lead guard position. So they, they're using him to bring up the ball to run the offense, and he's, he's a gamer. 
He plays good defense. He's been one of the first freshmen off the bench, you know, of that that true class because he plays defense, and that's what it takes to get on the field or on the court, excuse me. And and that's one of the reasons why I don't think we've seen much of Malik Thomas yet. That was the area where he's got to grow the most is on the on the defensive end. Now he's the Gatorade, the California Gatorade State Player of the Year last year. Phenomenal season at Damian. He's a guy that can get buckets whenever he comes in. Hey, maybe you need some instant offense later in the year. Or you're just struggling in a game or something. And maybe he's a guy that comes in and just you know can can go get his own shot. But that's the area where he's going to continue to grow on the defensive end. And that's the thing about this program now is if you don't play defense, you don't play. Andy Enfield said that those exact words after the last game uh, when someone asked him, "Hey, do you think your defense is as far along as you would have anticipated?" He said, "Yeah, because." If you don't play defense, you don't play here. So, you know, they, they don't have any prima donnas on the team. One of the things I love about Malik Thomas is you worry. You know, 11, 12, 13 on, on the depth chart. You know, once you get pat, once you start getting into conference play now, you know, how much playing time are those guys going to get? That bench tightens up. Yeah, exactly. And you go, ooh, are you, those guys going to start, you know, being disgruntled? Are they going to, you know, if they're not getting being played time now, do they start looking at the transfer portal after the season? Those type of things you worry about because these are going to be important players for USC in this program for the next few years. And Malik Thomas is one of the most invested guys on the bench. I love the fact I, I noticed it and really, you know, paid attention to it during the, the Thanksgiving tournament and just watched him. And like, there was one time, I think it was Isaiah Mobile, it was one of the older guys, was like, hey, dude, he's like grabbing him by the chest and like pushing him back. He's like, I'm trying to watch the, the play down here. You're up cheering. I need you to calm down a little bit. Uh, but that was a kind of a cool moment just to see how invested he is and how, you know, he's cheering on his teammates and everything. That's what you want to see from your bench guys, you know, especially guys that you know have a really bright future that you, that you anticipate, you know, being key players for you going down the line. And you want to see them invested early. That means they're putting in the work. The Andy Infield actually opened up their practices this year during their fall camp. So I got to go a couple times and, you know, once or twice a week to kind of check them out. It was kind of eye opening and enlightening to see them working with these freshmen. Really hard on them, on the, especially on the defensive end for someone like Malik Thomas, but just see constantly, constantly working with them, constantly, you know, the conversation back and forth. Malik Thomas asking a ton of questions about where he needs to be. Sometimes it's just him, he's forgetting. And there's a lot of stuff that's being uh, implemented early in the in a fall camp, and you know freshmen are gonna take a little bit of time to catch up. But I just love the fact that he was constantly willing. You know, whenever a coach is getting on him, he's listening to it. He's taking the advice, taking the the criticism, asking questions, and trying to get better constantly. So I was really impressed by that. So we'll see him down the road eventually. He's gonna be he's gonna be a future star for USC, I think. And then the other one, the the one that's the bonus is Resticks and Waters, a guy that didn't play at all last year. And I had some kind of concerns about him like I did with Joshua Morgan is, you know, is he going to be aggressive enough? And you see in practice, that's just not his mentality. But then when he gets into games, he just goes for it. And, you know, he's playing really good defense, so he's getting some minutes as well. He's slowly coming along. He's been one of their top three-point shooters percentage-wise so far. Has knocked down, I think, three of six or, you know, four or seven, something like that. Uh, so he's been knocking down some shots for them early. I think that's just an extra addition because some of their starters are actually struggled uh, shooting threes that some of the guys that they were expecting to count on have been a little slow to, to get off the out of the gates so far this season from distance. Side note, that has nothing of value. Reese Dixon Waters, great name. Yeah, I like it. It can get jumbly, though, if you say it too fast. <laughs> you can get stumbled up. Do, do you go with an abbreviation, then? I was trying RDW? to think of one. Yeah, I, I just feel like I would mess that up, too. But, like, Reese Dixon Waters just sounds like... It's, it's borderline like an R&B singer's name. Or it could be, like, 
RD Dub. Yeah, I, I like that. Mm. That that, that we, we'll try that out. I'll, I'll try that out when we uh, we move through the season. We'll work it. Only six games played, but mm-hmm. shotgun. Who's your MVP through six games? Ooh, that's a really good question. Yeah. Mm. I don't like when you ask these questions. Yeah, I, I, Give I, that I pause. I'm, yeah, that's how I know it's a it's a good one. I see you flexing over there. I see uh, I'm just working out the, the <laughs> just getting ready. I mean, I think the MVP initially I went through like four guys in my mind, four different starters. And didn't even think about the fifth one. Or I went through three different stars. Didn't think about the fourth one. I think Chavez Goodwin is actually mm, the MVP right okay. now. I mean, he's averaging, looking at the stats here, he's averaging 13.2 points, seven and a half rebounds. USC, I believe, is undefeated, or maybe they have one loss when he scores in double digits through his both seasons at USC. Um, obviously, last year he was a backup behind Evan Mobley. So trying to find his way, coming over from Wofford, played at Charles College of Charleston early in his career, so his third different school. But he's fit in terrifically. Everyone loves him. He doesn't really talk a bunch of smack on, on, on the court. He talks a bunch on the court, though, and that's really important, especially on the defensive end. He is constantly chattering. Between him and Boogie Ellis, you know – if you were on court, you would never. There's never any silence between those two guys. They're constantly talking about screens, talking about you know I got this guy, I got this guy that got in the corner, you got your help here, all those type of things. Constantly talking on defense, which is uh, obviously a huge key. Um, and he's doing it. He's being super efficient. You know, he's shooting 67 percent right now from the field. Whew. And a lot of some of that is layups and dunks, but it's not just like he's getting all these handoffs and hey, you go you go dunk right here and there's no defender. His his baby hook game, I'm so jealous of it. I had a baby hook in in, in high school when I played. It's my it's my favorite shot. Um, it's mine mine as well. That's what I was I was taller than everyone in middle school, so I would just baby hook <laughs> the crap out of everyone. Now doesn't work so much, but baby hooks all day. Well, you can use that baby hook to keep away big, from the defense. It's just fun to say baby hook, big baby and, hook. And I think that's part of the reason why he he has that so strong because he's six nine, which is good size, but it's not seven foot. Um, you're, you're giving up a couple inches. He doesn't have quite the length of the Mobley brothers or some of the guys on this team, but he just finishes. His, his ability to finish by the rim, when they get the ball down to him uh, inside that, the painted circle, you know, he's finishing those plays. Some of the other guys may miss. You know, you've seen some guys throughout Andy Enfield's tenure. Be like, oh, man, how do you miss so many bunnies? Chavez Goodwin's not that guy. 67%. Uh, just got to fix those free throws. Free throws have always been an issue for him, but he's shooting 35% right now. But he's killing it on the glass. He's, got, he's leading the team with 20 offensive rebounds through six games, so he's averaging over three offensive rebounds per game. So he, he, he's been my MVP so far because of the, the strides from where he was at last year to where he's at now. Great answers. Keep it moving. Early impressions of Mr. Boogie Ellis, the big high-profile transfer, you know, guy who could be a difference maker for this team. What's going on? Break down Boogie. What have you, what have you thought? Boogie! I wasn't ready for that. <laughs> he's been spectacular for him. I mean, he's leading leading scorer at 14.5 points. He's shooting over 40% on three-pointers. He's got tremendous range. He can get to the basket. He can create for other people. He's not being selfish. He's not taking shots where you're just like, oh, come on, pass the ball. Those type of shots. It's not you know hero ball for him. He's fit in. He's playing really good defense. He's gotten some steals and some breakaway dunks because of it. Right now he's got 20 assists with nine turnovers. Uh, USC as a team, their turnover numbers are terrific. 52 turnovers through six games. So, you know, under under 10 is always the the goal. 
and USC's averaging that right now. You know, and that starts with Boogie Ellis because he's been the the primary ball handler for him. Him and Drew Peterson and Ethan Anderson as well, but uh, him and Drew Peterson are the, are the primary ones. Those two guys combined have 19 turnovers in in six games, so not too bad. The guys that are going to have the ball, you know, 75 percent of the time. So yeah, I've been really impressed with him. I think the way he's fit in, he's fit into the culture of USC. He's bought in on the defensive end, and you know that's some of the things that you read on from Memphis fans when you know he committed. Like, well, good luck with him. You're never going to see him do this or this or this. And he's he's completely bought in. He's been a team player, and uh, you know I think the relationships that he already had with Max Agamopolo and Isaiah Mobley and those guys that were in that that recruiting class together. There's a kind of infamous photo of them together with Anyeka Kongwu, and that was going to be the 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 recruiting class, which they ended up getting Ethan Anderson in, and they got. Some guy named Drake London, who <laughs> some guy named Drake. I don't know if you've heard of him. I might have, you know. I, I it's he, it sounds familiar. I, I'm still a small tear going down my mm. eye from from the injury to this year, but yeah, Drake London as well was in that class. So that was a remarkable class for USC. And Boogie Ellis was the piece that they were really wanted to get, but ended up um, not close, being able to close the deal with. But to get him a couple years later, I think he's been huge for them, and he's a guy that he will be very important for them when they get to March. Because he can get buckets on his own if you need at the end of a game. And you want USC to move the ball and do all those things, but sometimes it comes out at crunch time. You need a guy to make a shot. Boogie Ellis can make a shot if you need him to. Where have you seen Isaiah Mobley take the biggest step so far? Hmm, that's, that's an interesting question. The biggest step for him, I think leadership. Man, if you watch a practice or if you, if you pay enough attention to him in a game, he is constantly teaching everyone else. He is the guy that knows everything. Like he'll go to Capco or he'll go to his dad and have a discussion one-on-one about, okay, what on this play? And then he'll go explain it to multiple other guys. So I think his leadership has been immense. Now, I think him going to the draft combine, him seeing his brother, um, going through the, you know, going to the draft himself with his brother and kind of seeing how everything played out, I think that's just motivation for him especially Evans off to a great start now that he's back from the injury. I think that's motivation, but also he learned some stuff during that draft combine and stuff, like different ways that he can score, different things he can do. He's not staying at the three-point line. He's not relying on that too much. He's not trying to do – he's not doing anything – any one thing too much. He's showing his versatility. He can create for others. He's doing that pretty good. The high-low passes from him to Josh Morgan and Chavez Goodwin have been fantastic – Anytime a team goes to zone, they get the ball to Mobley in the middle. He can either knock down that jumper at, at the free throw line or he can drive it or he can just dish it off. There's so many options with him there. He's such a unique player, similar to how his brother was. You can't play zone against USC if those guys are killing you in the middle, uh, even if USC's not shooting great from outside, which they have been a little bit up and down so far this season. This might be a dumb question, but I'm going to throw it out anyway. Obviously, USC picked up such critical and valuable experience last year Mm -hmm. just with that run and just experiencing that and you know in in sports experience is so critical especially in basketball you know just a limited amount of guys on the court and just having that connection together and having gone through some some tough games and pulling out close games and uh, big games like that at NCAA tournament could be invaluable and have you seen you know that experience that they picked up last year have you seen that like the maturity come out on the court in any, I know it's just only been six games, but have you seen little moments where like, oh, I don't think, I don't think a team that has gone through what they've done would do that this year? Or have you seen them sort of respond, you know, differently than they would for a team that hasn't gone through that? 
I think it goes back to the toughness and not being bullied. Um, I, I think when you have that experience and you're going up against a team that wants to try to get you emotional, wants to try to get some get it chippy a little bit because they're less talented. You know, if you're a less talented team, you try to bring down uh, a team's talent level by making them more emotional. That when emotions rise, I can't remember the, the exact saying. When emotions rise, decision making uh, drops, or something like that. that. That's a common saying in sports that I obviously don't know. You it's butcher a little bit. I'll, it's I'll it's find common it. enough that I, I, I can't remember <laughs> it right now. But yeah, you know what I'm trying to say here. But I, I think that that's the biggest thing that they they've showed their depth. You know, there's eight, nine, ten guys playing every game and contributing. And you're seeing those freshmen get in there as well. But you're not seeing guys that are at least not from the outside in. Uh, you're not seeing guys upset. You know, Isaiah White, you know, he's playing 17 minutes this year. You know, he's only started one game. He started pretty much every game last year, except for maybe one or two. So he's a guy that could be complaining or pouting on the end of the bench. No, he's being a leader on the end of the bench. He's helping those young guys as well, taking his role. It's not the same role as it was last year, but you know he he's taking taking it and, and running with what he's got there. So I, I think it's really interesting to see some of those players that are a little bit further down the depth chart, maybe worse starters previously in their career, are all kind of fitting in where the, where they can. I know we're coming at the end of our our podcast, so I got a couple more questions. These are more NCAA looking towards the postseason big picture. Okay, is that is that cool? Sure. USC makes it back to the second week or makes a big run. In March, if blank, fill in and for me. If they make some shots, because I think the defense is going to be there regardless. So I think that was the big thing last year for that run. Isaiah Mobley got hot. You know, he was on fire from outside. Isaiah White hit like seven threes in two of their uh, two of their tournament games. I think that's the key for them. And one of those guys that needs to get going is Max Agbonpolo. He was on fire during the preseason. He was one of their best shooter. He was one of their best players, best scorers at least um, in their preseason scrimmages that they had. So far this season, he's only four of seventeen. I think it's just you know early in the season. And same thing with Drew Peterson. He got his first three the other day. He said you know his confidence was waning a little bit, but you know brought him back up. And and I think it's really interesting. Those are two guys I mentioned, but those are two three and D potential guys mm-hmm. in the NBA if they can knock down threes consistently. Um, and now Drew Peterson could do some different things for you as well, especially at this level. But at the next level, they could both have that potential, and it's going to take some work to get both of them there. But because they're just so long, yeah, you know they're they're very Matisse Thybulle esque as far as they're just super lanky, super long. I mean, Drew Peterson six nine, I think. I think Max Eckenpolo is listed at six eight, and they both have wingspans. I, I wrote uh, a piece on Drew Peterson. I said he's got a pterodactyl wingspan. Because that's what it seems like. His arms are, you know, when those guys are both in a zone, when USC played their zone last year, they were reaching across the court, basically. The, the zone just felt like they're, and that was what some of the coaches were saying in the NCAA tournament. I think the Drake coach said, it's like, you, you couldn't find an opening because they're so long. They just reach, you know, the three guys reach all the way across the court. So uh, I, I think that those those guys, uh, I think it, if they can knock down some shots, I think that's really big for them. And I want to give credit to Ethan Anderson. He's been really good from three-point range, and that's something where teams used to just you know slouch off of him and not play him at all from the three. But he's 9-16, so 56%. He's their best shooter so far. And just finally, again, just six games. The, this feels like, obviously, they're rate, rated in the top 20, easily on pace you know, to make the tournament. Do you have like any idea seating wise, like just a th- super early? I know it's like super early. Do you feel like 
you, ha- you have a, a gauge of where the, they could end up in the field. Obviously, what they do in the Pac-12 will right. will determine that ultimately. But I think it'll be really interesting in a couple of weeks. They have a road trip where they go to Phoenix and they play Georgia Tech, which is a fascinating matchup because there's two former USC players on that that transferred there, Kyle Sturdivant and Jordan Usher. But then they go from there, go from Phoenix to Oklahoma State and play at Oklahoma State. And I think those two road trip games there, one's technically a neutral neutral court, but I think those could be big wins for them going forward. One for confidence if they can get wins on the road like that, but also I think the Oklahoma State could be pretty decent in the, the Big 12, um, especially with the experience they got last year, even if they don't have Kate Cunningham this year. I think they could be decent, so that could be a future good win for them. And Georgia Tech, uh, without Jose Alvarado, I'm curious to see where they have. I haven't looked at much of their roster other than that, but they had a lot of pieces coming back from last year's too. So I think they could be decent in the ACC too. So both of those wins could be really good down the road for USC. So those two games could play a big part in it because there's – the rest of the schedule outside of conference leading up, I mean, the rest of the non-conference schedule is just not that great. So you're not going to be an extra quad one or quad two win in there when you're playing Eastern Kentucky or whoever it is they have. So limited resume boosters for them. Out of conference. In conference, they could get some. Right. But, but, you know, they got Eastern Kentucky, Long Beach State, and UC Irvine outside of those two games that I mentioned. That's the rest of the non-conference schedule, so. Anything else before we wrap up that maybe I didn't ask you about or something you want to highlight or someone you want to highlight? Just anything you want to throw out before we uh, wrap this up? Uh, I mentioned Drew Peterson. and As I said, I wrote a story about his defense. His defensive progression has been amazing. You know, Last year, he, Chris Capco was on him all the time. It was kind of his guy that he was working with, but he was constantly on him, on him, on him. you got to play better defense. They told him coming into the season – if you don't play better defense, you're going to get passed up by guys and you're not going to play the minutes that you want to play. And so this offseason, he really put in the work. So I think it's really been impressive. The, the two games down in Anaheim, the two games in that wooden legacy, he guarded the other team's best player. Jordan Hall from St. Joseph's, who's a 6'7 uh, point guard. You might say, oh, a guard from St. Joseph's. He entered the NBA draft last year and with, ended up withdrawing his name. So he, he's a talented kid. And then um, Matt Bradley, who was at Cal previously and averaged like 18 a game for Cal last year. It's 17 and a half the year before. He goes to San Diego State. He's their leading scorer this year. He didn't score until there was 80 seconds left in the game. Uh, Drew Peterson shut him down the entire game. He got three points at the at the very end of the game when USC was winning by 18, I think. So uh, you had, Drew Peterson completely shut him down, so that was super impressive and just gives them another guy that is going to be super difficult for for you know teams to to score on. So I, I think I want to note that, and I do want to point out a couple of, of quick uh, breaking news, I guess. Ooh, okay. A couple, a couple of updates, a couple of injury updates. USC is expected to have Isaiah White and Bubakar Kulabali available tonight when they play Utah. Both those guys, Kulabali has only hasn't played since the opener. Um, he's had an ankle injury. Isaiah White missed uh, last week's games in Anaheim because of back spasms. They don't think it's going to be anything serious as far as the back there. It did act up last year a little bit, but you know, not anything long-term like Ethan Anderson's back was last year. But to get those two guys back, I think, is big. Just add more depth you know, as you go into conference. Someone gets in foul trouble. Um, and Bubakar Kulabali, once they get to, you know, once they get past this week and they get to those three non-conference games against Eastern Kentucky, Long Beach State, UC Irvine, I think you've got to get him a ton of minutes. Mm-hmm. 
He is, he's a freak athlete, and he just needs more and more playing time. So it's unfortunate for him that he missed out on the, the games at Temple, Florida, Gulf Coast, Dixie State, St. Joseph's, you know, those games that they played so far because all those extra minutes are only going to help him going forward. Again, as always, world's greatest USC beat basketball writer, <laughs> about all that. Shotgun Spratling, who I feel, I've, obviously I was hosting this, but it's your podcast and you opened it and gave it to me. That's like the biggest flex <laughs> that you could possibly do. Like, here, here's my podcast. I brought some random loser on. He's going to interview me. <laughs> Take it away. That's what it felt like. Flex, Chris, flex you, out. You're never a random loser. That's Keely from the other room. Exactly. Notice how he said random. He didn't say like... <laughs> A subtle dig at specific loser, but I'll take it. Uh, thank you for having me on Shotgun to interview you. Chris, thanks so much for coming on and helping me of out. Course, of course. Because obviously we didn't have a great format going here. We wanted to throw something out there with conference starting. Obviously there's so much news going on around USC. But Is there? I wanted to keep you USC hoops fans, give you guys some love. You know, try, try to make sure that you guys are taken care of as well because this team is coming off an Elite Eight run. This team has a chance to make another dramatic run in the NCAA tournament this season with the depth that they have, with the experience they have. And it'll be really interesting to see how the season plays out. Very quickly, how close was USC to becoming a basketball school officially? <laughs> was it close? If 10 is basketball school, where were they, like 7.5? And then it just... Uh, no, and people asked about a basketball school. The thing is, you want to be Florida in the mid-aughts. You want to win a national championship in both. There's no rule that says you can only be one school or the other. Absolutely. You can't be football That's a good or basketball. So you want to be Tim Tebow, Florida, and Joachim Noah, and that Al Horford group that, that won back-to-back national championships in basketball. That's what you want to be. That's the That's the ideal. That's what you strive for. Uh, so we'll see if USC can can at least make some strides toward that. They have been recruiting at an f- absurd level for USC. They're just continuing to to build, continuing to build. They play great defense, so they're in every single game. So we'll see uh, what this team can do this year. Should be should be a fun ride to watch. And fans can come back now. I'm I'm just sorry for you guys that you didn't get to see Evan Mobley in person. The good thing is LA's got two NBA teams, so when the Cavs come in, you can see them when they play the Lakers or the Clippers. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, guys, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Chris, for for jumping on with me. We appreciate you guys, and and uh, we'll see what USC can do when they open conference play tonight. <laughs> Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.